Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Dr. Batar, I am broadcasting from Muscatine, Iowa, and it is so cold. I don't know how to describe it, but it's definitely not what I'm used to in uh, the southeast. And a lot of, you've spent a lot of years there. Have you, uh, have you witnessed this cold firsthand? Yeah, I did when I went to medical school. That's why I went to Des Moines, and um, I, I know exactly what it's like. I had a friend of mine that was in Chicago at the time that was going to medical school, and I asked him if he was going to come visit, and he said, possibly never. And that was the reason. <laughs> he said, because cold, and he said corn. The, you know, all this is pig fields. Right. I mean, cornfields with pigs and very, very cold, which is not really true because Iowa can be pretty nice during the summer and spring. So, Sure. And, you know, the, the, if they, if he's from Chicago and wouldn't come to Des Moines, what does that say? It's colder down south, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting, yeah. though. The people are, are warm-hearted, uh, although they're in Monsanto land. They're surrounded mm-hmm. by so many toxins coming in through food, water, and air on top of other areas that we know. But this is a very unique area. They're saying in this little town, the uh the the what do you call the pollution from the factories or whatever that goes on here grain stuff Mm -hmm. it's taking Mm -hmm. paint off of their houses oh my god yeah so i'm thinking we need some massive detoxification in the heartland of america well here's a question that you know if if rainwater is is good but then rainwater is taking uh in this area for example paint off the off the homes obviously when the water evaporates and goes up it's it's moving throughout so isn't that theoretically then at least north of the equator isn't that a way for water to be contaminated throughout the which depending whichever hemisphere you're in because the water currents and currents are insulated by the or relatively insulated based on the equator but then it would seem that if the water is in that area and it's it's that contaminated that it's not just going to be in um, in Iowa, it's going to spread whichever way the wind currents move the uh, cloud pattern, and it's going to di- be dispersed all over the northern American peninsula. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And you know, and even we've talked about the Fukushima issue. Uh, you know, water can can carry radioactive elements. We know that, and then drop them back down elsewhere. Uh, so, uh, can we continue to stick our head in the sand and pretend nothing's going on, or do we watch the cancer rates rise, the autism rates rise, and, and say we don't know what's going on? Yeah, and that's exactly the point that, um, with the exception of the 2010 presidential report, that was the first time I've ever seen where the government admitted that there's an environmental issue as far as the cause of cancer and something has to be done about it. And it only took them 240, 50, 60, whatever, it's 240 pages uh, to come to that one conclusion, which was the environmental impact that nobody's addressing. So I agree with you that it is... um, becoming very prevalent uh the, con- the question was that when you made the comment that it's in that area yeah and i guess i was just highlighting that really if it's in that area it's everywhere yeah it's just you know let's just say you're across the street from the place you get it direct there's no waiting right there's no win- it's just there and it shows how corrosive the substance is the closer you are to it we talk about it maybe being a little bit more diffuse further away but still it's cumulative as we've talked about it's not just a one shot you're out deal it's like every day and you don't know 
and then you end up and say, Doc, I have cancer, or Doc tells you that, and then they say it's probably genetic. Yep, yep, exactly. And then they blame it on the on the genes. So it's lack of taking personal responsibility is what it come down comes down to. And it's not personal responsibility of the individual. It's personal responsibility of the companies that are creating some of these substances that are getting um, into the uh, internet, into the commerce, into the utilization. And when they utilize it on a mass scale, uh, it has there's no choice but to impact the environment. And of course, it's going to be affecting the water and then it gets into our food sources and our water sources that we consume. And, and then it goes on and on. And we know what the end is. Yeah. If, and if you are a doctor that wakes up somewhere midstream into this and suddenly says, oh, my gosh, what have I done? What have I participated in? Much like this guy from the Cleveland Clinic. Now, the Cleveland Clinic has a big name around the world, even. It's a reputation as you know, one of the top places to go. Uh, and there's a doctor there, Daniel Nides, and he wrote an op-ed in, uh, I guess, a Cleveland.com website. And we reported on it yesterday. And all, just a few hours after seeing this article about him talking about his experience with the flu shot, recognizing there was mercury and aluminum, and it, and it, it was not a good experience for him. He was call, he's been called names, ad hominem attacks on him. Now he's a quack. I mean, he was a respected doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, and they pulled his article down, and they're forcing him to apologize, and he is. I'm sorry I wrote about my experience. Hmm. You know, these higher echelons of education and these university-based and, and uh, hospitals that, are, that have these... Uh, they considered the highest levels of uh, um, whatever you want to call it. I don't even know. In the medical hierarchy, they considered to be the highest sources of, of uh, information, and they're the authorities when it comes to medical uh, information. And I've come to find out that it's quite the opposite. They are coasting on their reputations, which are very, very unfairly given to them and they, they haven't earned them or if they had earned them it was 50 100 years ago and now they're just coasting well now it's public relations campaigns that keep that right. name as it's like it's golden right so this exactly. guy listen to the headline of his article and you know it's like it's intriguing it says make 2017 the year to avoid toxins and then parentheses he says good luck and master your domain words on wellness so he's obviously a regular contributor to this magazine and, you know, it's a common sense perspective. He's not an anti-vaccine guy. He went and got a shot and he had a bad experience. He went and read what was in it. And suddenly he says, oh, my gosh, we need to avoid these toxins. And now he's being demonized or wakefielded, as we've learned. Right. Much like they could say he was batard as they tried to attack you and you didn't back down and you you beat him back. But they're still using intimidation and fear tactics to keep these doctors in line. Well, Boutard sounds kind of, kind of uh, <laughs> I think I think Wakefield sounds more eloquent than Boutard. That kind of like <laughs> yeah, I've never said that. A, Don't get Boutard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and like feather. Somebody lost control of some bodily function there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, the thing is that when it comes to these higher echelons of uh, education and medical authority like Cleveland Clinic, um, you've actually, I think you met Chris. You, didn't you meet Chris? The, I won't say his last name, but I think you met Chris at one of the advanced medicine seminars he was a guy that had melanoma and yeah. had uh, gone to cleveland clinic and they gave him six months to live he had stage four melanoma and then he went to mayo clinic to get a second opinion and they told him so he's a professional golfer and it's um it was on his ankle where socks cover up that area of the ankle uh-huh. and uh, he went to Cle- he after cleveland clinic went to mayo mayo said that if they took his leg they 
thought that they could give him another year. And uh, he didn't like either one of those, so he came to us, and that was in 2007. So he just, uh, he, 2007, 2008, so it's either nine or ten years he's out now mm-hmm. uh, from his cancer. And, you know, he um, he's one of many, like I've got Sloan Kettering, MD Anderson, uh, Mayo, Cleveland, uh, Hopkins, I can't remember which other names, Duke. Uh, I'm not very, I am definitely not like the Duke. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting that, when we start to um, allow these names, these reputable names, or what we refer to as reputable names, to dictate what is right or wrong, what is kosher or not, yes. what should be allowed to be disseminated or not, that's where we start running into the, the problems because it's no different than what we've talked about in the government hierarchy, the way they decide what is you know uh, right or not or what, whether you're smart enough or not smart enough to control your own destiny, whether you should decide, whether you're smart enough to know whether your child should get a vaccine or not. This is where the FDA comes in, the medical boards, everybody else. It's the same type of scenario where under pretense of safety or under pretense of wanting to make sure we get the right information out to the general public, this is not something that you need to look at. And if somebody comes outside of the box like this doctor did and he comes out and he gives his own experience or his own perspective, they will rain on that parade. So Mm. here's the reason that um, you've heard me say this before, Robert, before at at least in advanced medicine seminars, is that it's our own responsibility. Nobody's going to take that responsibility greater than ourselves. Uh, uh, Nobody's going to, I'm sorry, excuse me, nobody's going to have the best interest at mind for your child or for yourself as you would yourself. Yes. To allow somebody else, whether it's a governmental body or a medical authority like a, a well-known university or hospital system to say that this is right or that's wrong. You yourself are risking your own lives and your own well-being by allowing them to dictate what is and what is not important information or information mm-hmm. that should be disseminated. This doctor should have gotten an award for saying what he did, yeah. and now he should be reprimanded, as far as I'm concerned, for backing down, reneging and backing down. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he fears for his job, his livelihood. His, you know, so it's not a principled thing. He thought... Uh, maybe at this point, perhaps, that he could speak out that truth, which we respect him for, and then realized, oh, my gosh, I, I went farther than uh, I, they allowed me to. But that's not an adult thing to say, oh, my gosh, other adults are not letting me speak the truth, share my story. And so, yeah, But the truth is the truth. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's not dependent upon whether somebody lets you say it or not lets you say it. Right. And so, so he's already compromised his own integrity by by reneging on what he said i mean I, I don't know i haven't read his apology maybe he apologized for offending anybody else and i mean did you read yeah, the well, no we're, we're gonna get from super don and go okay. and talk about it later but the you know the the appeal to authority is not the appeal to authority it's the appeal to authoritarianism at this point and i don't even know this appeal though i think it's a bowing no it, well it, that's the thing it's sort of like if, if we were to describe it it is bowing down to authoritarians not authority figures because they don't actually know the truth or if they do it's even worse and so this is the situation we we see in real time here with a doctor that has woken up and suddenly is slammed so bad they're calling him a quack just moments before he was respected head of the Cleveland Clinic in a certain department, now suddenly he's a quiet. I mean, it's like overnight on a dime, boom, he's done. And we'll see where that where this thing goes. If they'll find him, suspend him, who knows what's going to happen next? Right. You know, Robert, when um, when they asked me in 2020 when they were interviewing me, and they actually said, "Well, Doctor, how do you respond to the 
accusations that you are Charlton and you're you know you're nothing more than a quack. <laughs> and I said, well, as long as you. You remember my response to that? Yeah, hold on. We're going to hold that because we got to take a break here. We're going to get that response. For those of you new to Advanced Medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, you will want to stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're talking about the appeal to authority, authoritarians, asking permission where it's not required, all the things we talk about. Dr. Batar, you're not one to suffer fools, and you also don't want to uh, uh, back down when people are challenging you and and your perspective on what you know to be factual and truthful. Well, Robert, this comes back to what we've talked about before, and this is the cause of disease, cause of all chronic disease, is when people live in conflict. And I think that when a person lives in conflict, if you feel one way and you say something else because you're afraid of losing your job or your standing or your whatever it is, if you're going to allow something else exterior to yourself dictate your own truth and you're in a conflict situation, you are not going to be, for a very long period at least, mm-hmm. healthy. You, you're going to, this is where disease starts. This is where that, yeah. that psychosomatic thing starts in. The brain is in a constant state of stress and it causes that stress in the body and so then, you know, all have... I would call it, as you refer to it, the spiritual toxicity to some degree because, you you know, you're not in line with spirit at that point. That's exactly it. That is exactly what the spiritual toxicity is. That is exactly it. That's an emotional, psychological, and spiritual toxicity. Now, I kind of split emotional, psychological, and spiritual separate a little bit because this would really fall more into the emotional, psychological than the spiritual. But you're right. You're not in line with spirit. And then spiritual toxicity is also when you feel the need to take your belief system and impart them on somebody else. Uh, against their will and so that's another component to the spiritual toxicity but yeah you know it kind of makes me think coming at the break we talked about when 2020 was interviewing me they asked me that question about well how do you respond to the people that said that you're a charlton and you're nothing more than a quack and you know it just kind of you know like you talk about spirit moves it it just came to me and i said well uh, you know it doesn't matter to me what you call me if you want to call me a quack that's great as long as you distinguish that quack from what they are i'm happy as long as you don't put me in the category as them, yes. as the doctors, that you know the conventional mindset, I'm happy with it. Whatever, just distinguish me. Whether you want to label it as a quack or whatever, yeah. as long as it's different. Because it's going to put them in their place, and I think it made them probably even a little bit more mad, but also... Mi- oh, they did. Yeah. They were shocked. They, yeah. they actually, the, the guy who was interviewing me was a little shocked that I said that. He kind of looked over to the side like the camera crew, like, what am I, how am I supposed to respond to that? Right. I, I got nowhere to go. That was definitely not in the, in the plan, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and so... I, again, we don't know this guy. Uh, it's It really was a fascinating article that was like a, kind of an awakening that a guy was sincerely communicating as a physician. And, you know, he has his, uh, his articles that he writes for them. Uh, and perhaps he was unaware. I don't know. But, I mean, at this point, I'd be shocked that doctors aren't aware of the fact that if they write this in their respected journals of some kind, that they would be slapped big time for even questioning one ingredient, much less the entire experience of having a flu vaccine, for instance. Yeah, but there are so many doctors that have uh, questioned it, and there are so many papers now that have been written, um, and there's so much evidence. As you said, it's, this is like the worst of the worst and last death struggle. This is almost mm-hmm. like, you know, the animal's already dead now, and it's a, uh, there's no heartbeat, there's no pupillary reflex, and it's that quivering of the of the tissue as that 
as the tissue settles down type of thing. I think this is like the de- last death struggle. Even now, mm-hmm. uh, President-elect uh, tr- um, Trump yeah. Trump is talking about and has talked about from the campaign floor before he became the um, president-elect, when he was still just a candidate, was talking about the impact of vaccinations and how uh, detrimental it can be in the association with vaccinations and autism, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, of course, they tried to make him into a, uh, you know, crazy lunatic, you know, off. He's and lost it didn't work. Type of thing. It backfired. It didn't work, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so, I, and I think <laughs> what we're seeing here, Dr. Batar, is another case of, you know, I'm sorry for the guy getting slapped, but I'm actually happy because it's it's bringing it to the forefront again. Another doctor, high level, that was perfectly well-respected, acknowledged, all of that stuff. Suddenly now he's converted to a quack just because he wrote an article. That's not going to look good to many doctors who see that because he, he wrote a very rational, cogent piece. Yeah, and of course I took it off, so uh, offline. So I think you said you've got it. So yeah, it Super Don be- posted it at the Robert Scott Bell Show website, so I'll make sure you see it too. Because, uh, like I said, this is the thing we've said that eventually everybody's going to know the truth. One by one by one, they'll regain their sanity, but at the same time, they're going to be threatened. Each one they can try to scare so that they can keep the masses in fear of coming out and speaking this truth. But it hasn't worked for us. It's not going to work in this case. In fact, it, with every battle line they try to draw, it brings more people to the fore. And as I said, and you said it well, it's their death rows. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I remember uh, I was asked to come give a, a little talk at a celebration in washington dc for uh and it was an anniversary for our senior master instructor in martial arts and he was doing a, a big celebration they had a couple hundred people that came in and it was really nice because he invited me to come and speak he he's the one that i told you about he said that um my book was the first book that he read in english yes yeah uh, oh, from- hold on we got to take a break another cliffhanger let's hear more about the story at this martial arts uh, event and what dr batar spoke about and uh, you'll find out on the other side what it was. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. If you ever miss an episode of Advanced Medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, one of the easiest places to go is medicalrewind.com. Medicalrewind.com. Links are up in the show notes, robertscottbell.com. Uh, Dr. Batar, you're talking about being invited to, I think, present or speak at, at this major uh, martial arts event, uh, and he read his first book in English was your book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Yeah, it's uh, Senior Master Rodriguez. He's a uh uh, seventh degree black belt and he uh, told me that uh, after he read the book he said this is such a great book he goes now i wonder how many other great english books or books that have been written in english that i've missed so he <laughs> said this he's going to start reading more books in english but um he had asked me to come this was uh, i guess last year last spring and w- basically i gave uh, sort of like a keynote talk and it wasn't that big of a group it was about 300 people and all in the washington dc metropolitan area and what was interesting was that Somebody from the audience asked me a question about vaccines, and so I answered it, and and I kept it succinct, but then I said, you know, I don't want to go into too much more detail because I'm sure some people may not be interested, and the crowd responded, no, no, please answer it. So I started, I went more into detail. Well, lo and behold, there were three doctors in the group, and none, uh, only one of the doctors was a little irritated. The other two were very attentive and, and had some questions. But what was interesting was that the doctor that 
wasn't too happy about it. His wife was there, and then there were some other people that were sitting at that table, and they were – it wasn't that they didn't like what I said. They were downright disrespectful. They started raising their voices from the audience while I'm talking, and um, they got up. And In fact, one of them told Master Rodriguez afterwards, he said, that was totally inappropriate. You should not have had somebody there, You know, blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, a, a little uh, girl, about six-year, seven-year-old little girl comes up to me with a copy of my book, and she says, Dr. Patel, would you autograph my book? So I'm thinking, okay, now here's a child. Yeah. Now, maybe her parents sent her over. I don't know. But the point is, you remember we've talked about this, how our, the new generation is so much more aware than we were at that age. Mm-hmm. And, and the truth resonates with them. The information resonates with them. But how uh, aggressively and, and vocally these people were disturbed to the point that they said that this was inappropriate. I mean, they, they were not just like casually saying this wasn't appropriate. They were raising their voice. They were very upset, almost hostile. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> really hit a nerve there, didn't it? Just by yeah. talking about the vaccine issue, mm-hmm. they get very, very agitated. It's, well, it's a religion. It's, it's, you said it well, but you, yeah. I was religion. just going to go there again. It, it, these are religious beliefs we're dealing with, and I, and I tell people about this because you know everywhere I go, like I, I just you know spoke at that integrative conference uh, the other day, and you know people came up to me and say, "How do I talk to so and so, my so and so, about this vaccine issue?" And I was like, "Listen, you've got to recognize this is a religious." Um, dogma that you're having to overcome so i want you to imagine trying to convert your best buddy who's of a different religion to your religion how well are they going to take that right and they said oh oh my gosh you're right and so once you recognize that you've got to approach it a completely different way recognizing that they have a religious belief that is not really rooted in science and even if it were the science is so piss poor on vaccines that you know it wouldn't hold anybody with a you know a, a scientific degree that is not a degree at that point to to to, to stand by it uh, so it changes the way you communicate this because it's not as simple as saying uh, A plus B equals C. They're not there. They're in a dogma belief system that is not rooted in uh, anything but wishful thinking at this point. I totally agree with you, but the thing mm-hmm. is this, Robert. Um, the fact that it is religious dogma is not an excuse for them compromising their integrity because that's exactly what it is. It is a mm-hmm. compromise of one's integrity if you follow a religious thought process when it comes to something that is not religious. This is science, and science is very clear in how you establish what's credible or not. And if you take the religious religiosity aspect and apply it to something that's supposed to be scientific, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's, it's the, um, the church and the state type difference. And this is when Galileo was, had to rescind what he had discovered and, and disavow what he discovered with his telescope. Right, and right. Oh, it was only until, what, 1993 or something that the Catholic Church finally forgave him? For his indiscretion, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's not sort of stated. They forgave him for his indiscretion. N- never mind the fact that it was truth, and it, you know, it, it had took four or five hundred years after he died before they forgave him. Right? But why do you have to be forgiven for telling the truth? Yeah. Well, and, and the irony too about the concept of separation of church and state uh, in terms of science, right? Where did modern medicine go wrong? It's not, in my opinion, it's not that they use drugs, right? We, we recognize there's a limit and there's, no, there's a wrong way to use them, but it's the fact that they divorced themselves from spirit, from the spiritual realm. When, and mm-hmm. because doctoring and healing was a very spiritual thing. The, the doctor-patient relationship is a sacred relationship. And once they divorced themselves from spirit, that's where it went wrong. It wasn't the drugs. You know, I completely agree with you. I have said so many times 
I don't know that I've ever said this in the show, but I have said so many times in personal conversations that I believe that my work is more holy work mm-hmm. than the holiest of work that anybody does. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that because that and, and you know that that sacredness that occurs, and I think that that sacredness is a key component of eliciting that healing response. If you don't invoke that, you're not going to get the same results. There are so many times that I have no idea what the hell's going on with the patient, mm-hmm. but because I believe it is. With that intention and with, with the understanding that this is a spiritual component and asking for the guidance from the universal consciousness and, and, and having that guidance come through, we get the result that's desired more often than not. And it's, it's humbling. If, yes. if, it's, if it's anything else, it's more, that's the only word that comes to mind is that it is truly humbling because sometimes I'm totally at a loss. And then afterwards, you know, yeah. at a conference or I get a calculator, somebody says something. And I have to, I have to admit it. <laughs> Listen, as much as I would love to take credit for it, it was not of me. Right. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And I think that you know what you just said goes to the the crux of the matter. It, that yeah. it is a spiritual component, and I think that more doctors need to um, invoke that power because it's almost like if you talk about spirituality, you talk about um, the the connection, the 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 esoteric, what some people would call metaphysical, which it isn't metaphysical at all. It's spiritual is what it is. Yes. Uh, if, if you talk about that, there is almost um, a minimization of it, like, oh, it's, you know, it's fluff and it's poo-poo and, you know. Yeah. But, but yet, it is probably the most important component. It's no different than taking something, if somebody has a pneumothorax and you do not put a chest tube in there, you're not going to decompress that lung and that person's going to die of potentially of attention pneumothorax within a few minutes. And some would say, well, that's, you know, if you don't do that, it's, it's malpractice. If you do that, then that's exactly what you should do. To me, this, addressing the spiritual component is as direct of a intervention as putting in a thoracentesis tube. I mean, it's... Beautifully said. Yeah, I mean, I'll often refer to what I do on the air. What we do is, is a, a healing ministry. And I don't say those words lightly. I, I sincerely mean that, and, you know, because I've said that all healing ultimately is a spiritual uh, experience. And to diminish that, of course, is to diminish your own connection to the, to the source, to the creator, to God, however you perceive that to be. And, and as I say, you know, when they attacked homeopathy, uh, Hahnemann, who developed this wonderful system or identified it and just kind of codified it in a way, you know, is it the vital force? It was about the vital force, and that's the primary thing allopaths today, the the you know the molecular reductionists attack homeopathy on because it's not based on molecules alone. It's a recognition that there's a, we live in a spiritual universe, and there are energies beyond the physical. Yeah, and, and it's it's such a it's such a primitive thought process too. It's the same argument that people before Lewinhut, before the development of the microscope, before we knew that there was such a thing as microbes would argued that there was something that could actually cause disease that we couldn't see. And that's why people like uh, Seminolwise went to their grave right. uh, being ostracized from the medical community because all they did was wash their hands thinking there was something that we couldn't see that was creating disease. And by washing their hands, they were able to reduce the mortality of uh, women that had just delivered babies by something like 70%. But rather than looking at that, and seeing, okay, well, wh- wh- where is this? Just because they couldn't see it, because they couldn't measure it, because they couldn't recognize it, yeah. they just automatically ridiculed it and ostracized that person. So it's no difference in homeopathy or any of the other types of um, advances in science where because the individual who's looking at it doesn't understand it, they say, oh, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> this is, shows how small the human mind is, how, how, right. how little our minds are. Yeah, and there, there are probably other 
puny things on them as well that they're trying to compensate for. But we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I want to go to a question uh, from Berlin, Germany, a big fan from Berlin, uh, Masha. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, she says, uh, my holistic doctor has suggested that I do a heavy metal provocation test with EDTA as a detox agent. And I'm going to do it soon, although he didn't give me much advice on how to support my body when all those metals will come into my bloodstream. I'm supposed to do it at home, and I'm a bit nervous. I would appreciate if you would share some tips on what can I do to protect my body and ease the burden. Coffee enemas, juice fasting, any supplements? Thanks for the inspiration. Lots of love from Berlin, Masha. So a couple of minutes before break, we can start. But what do you think in a situation like this? Well, I didn't understand the part of the question when it says um, I'm supposed to do this at home. What is she supposed to do at home? The support I, part or the I, treatment part? I'm I'm thinking it's the urine collection over 24 hours. You know when they do these EDTA challenges somehow. I've heard that they'll they'll collect urine over 24 hours and send it to the lab and then analyze it. That's my sense of it. And Masha can get back to us if I'm wrong, but based on that, what would you say? Well, basically, uh, there's a 12-hour or 24-hour post-urination collection, but that doesn't need any support because that's a, I mean, that's a standard way of doing a, what we call a provocation challenge test. So there's no additional support or anything else that you need. The only difference between that and your regular treatments is that you're going to collect the urine as opposed to just urinating into a toilet and flushing the toilet. Right. So there's no special support or anything else that's needed during that phase of it. As far as coffee enemas and those type of things, you know, it, it can help facilitate, but we're talking about... Uh, an intravascular phenomenon when you're using uh, IV chelation, if you're using transdermal, it's a little bit different. Um, this oral chelation, you know, it's it's not really that effective, so you really don't need any support from that perspective. But essentially, the doctor should evaluate the kidneys and the liver to make sure prior to doing any treatment to make sure your body can handle it. And that will determine also the dose. Um, it's not that you're, if somebody has, say, renal failure or uh, impending renal failure or decrease in renal function. It's not that we don't do it. We still do it, but we may we may reduce the dose or we do it over a different time period, etc. So there's no specific um, support that's necessary. What is necessary is a proper evaluation beforehand and then during the treatments, not just during the provocation aspect, um, because you're provoking it every time. You're only collecting it during that one provocation test. So there's no special difference. In other words, every time you do the treatment, you're provoking the, the metals from coming out right. or provoking the metals to come out. But the additional support is just making sure you're mineralizing and, and had, having adequate nutritional support. Um, the biggest critical phase is actually during the treatments or right before the treatments. If you haven't had uh, enough to consume, your blood sugar can drop, and then you can end up having a hypoglycemic-type okay. acute event. Well, listen, let's take a break. If there's more to chat on that, that was a great response based on uh, the nuance of the this, this thing. And, Masha, if it's different than, than I've described it, let us know and we'll respond again. We'll be back to wrap up Advanced Medicine here on The Robert Scott Bell Show after this. Live around the world, The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Thanks again to Masha from Berlin. I love that we have listeners all over the world, Dr. Bittar. You, you've traveled all over the world. I've traveled some a bit. and It's nice that even when we're uh, back at the ranch or as I am in uh, Iowa now, that we can still reach out to the, to the people of planet Earth that are ready to hear the message. Yeah, it really is nice to, you know, I have a patient coming from a different country and then they tell me that they listen to the show and it's just amazing especially uh, the first time i had that experience was a patient asked me a question from australia they're in the office and they asked me a question and they said dr Tiger, you know i was listening on the show and a couple months ago you said 
And I'm like, what show? And he, he goes, you know, a radio show. And I'm, he looked at me like I was crazy, like, what do you mean, what show? A radio show. And I'm like, wow, you listen to the radio show? And then I found out that, you know, we had all sorts of people from all over the world listening to it. It's really cool to have that experience. Yeah. And, and like uh, you said, too, in response to, to Masha's question, uh, you know, make sure the doc is doing this, that they're preparing you. And if you have questions, it's cool that, that we're here to answer some questions. But I would encourage, as you would, to make sure if you're concerned about this challenge test that, you know, are your kidneys able or, doctor, did you check to see? Are, are you confident that I, you know, these are the kind of things that I think should be going back and forth in terms of that. So hopefully it's not exclusive because he or she wouldn't answer this question but that we, but I like that the question is asked because it's an opportunity to teach people how to interact on these things. They might not even know the questions to ask. You know, Robert, you just gave me an idea, and like I need another one of these ideas <laughs> to hold my head. But but there are so many doctors, even through the uh, approved credential bodies like the American Board of Clinical Mental Toxicology, which I was the chairman of for uh, seven and a half, almost eight years, and I was involved with them at the educational committee and such. In fact. Um, I was one who proposed a name change to the American Board of Clinical Mental Toxicology when I was just a member in 1999. So the problem is even with these doctors that have gone through all the training and then they're on a website at the IOM, uh, the uh, ABCMT.org's website. But when patients go to these websites and they go to the doctors, those doctors, they do things differently. Some of them will use DMP, some of them won't. Some of them say it's bad, some of them say it's good. Some of them do the rapid two-minute IV EDTA push, which is very dangerous that Violence and nurse equation, some of them, they all have different ways of doing different things. And so this idea that you just gave me was that perhaps at the Advanced Medicine website, we have a list of doctors, regardless of where the credential, regardless of where or what they've done, what kind of training they've done, if they're adhering to the the methodology that at least I, and again, you know, it's just my opinion, but this is the way we've done it, and we've administered almost 1.6 million IVs now over the last 20 years. 1.6 um, million? Yeah, wow. we're actually we're over 1.6 million now. So, and that that was uh, information as of uh, July of 2016. So I don't know what we are at now, but you know, we've done a lot, a lot of IV therapies. And so, if we can um, establish um, certain protocols that we can, we'll have doctors where we can basically say that if 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 this doctor adheres to this way of doing it, then we'll list them so people can know. Okay, these people are following. Sure. Um, not that my way is the only way, but at least if they if they have an interest in knowing which doctors are following our philosophy and our belief system, then we'll have that listed there. And it, I don't care where they've gotten their education or the training because right. I found – I know some doctors that have done great training at other places that I wasn't affiliated with, and they're doing it the right way. And there are other doctors that came through the same institutions that I was involved with, and they're not doing it the right way. Sure. I understand. I think it would be very helpful because a lot of people around the world listening to this – you know, uh, one of the common questions we get, you know, how do I find doctors that, that do this where I am or nearer to me or if I can't see Dr. Batar? So uh, for what it's worth, not that you need more to do, but I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think we will we'll start working on that. All right, cool. Well, let's see what else we got. We got a couple of minutes before we wrap up here. Another uh, wonderful episode of Advanced Medicine. Everybody check it out. Links are up in the show notes, robertscatbell.com and, of course, uh, medicalrewind.com if you miss a show. Uh, just, Robert, I, can I interject something real quick? Sure. We we have a webinar coming up on January eighteenth. Uh, oh, okay, big time. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a webinar, and it's uh, all about not only life uh, lifespan enhancement, but more importantly, in enhancing the quality of that lifespan. And uh, I think you know the topic that it's about, but it's coming up on July eighteenth and January eighteenth this month. January. 18th. Sorry, yeah. 
January 18th, yeah, Wednesday. Beautiful. So we'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. So, folks, if you want to sign up to be part of it, it's always limited number. But if you sign up, you're then able, if I remember correctly, to access the uh, recording so you don't miss it. That's correct. In fact, that's why we did it that way, because um, at the last webinar, we were we had um, more people registered than we could have attend. And if we hadn't had it set up that way. Uh, we would not have been able to allow the people that had been proactive and registered but not been able to make the event because when they got to the event, it was already... Right, right. Oh, great. More enhancements, more opportunities for broadcast healing and participatory healing in the webinar. So, Dr. Patar, we're out of time, so I just got to ask you what we need to remind the folks every time. That the power to heal is unequivocally theirs. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.